0: Welcome to the Good Money Habits podcast, where we marry financial education with tips from the experts on how to develop good money habits. Knowing what your options are around your finances is one thing, how to translate the knowledge into action for results is quite another. We're all about helping others take steps to gain financial stability, to live a better life. This podcast is brought to you by Lighthouse Capital. It is important to understand that today's episode is of general nature and doesn't take into account your personal objectives, financial situations or needs and may not be appropriate for you.
1: Well, it's the start of a new year and the start of a new season for the Good Money Habits. So I'd really like to start out today by thanking all of our listeners for your ongoing support. It's been really great to get your feedback and just see all the downloads continuing to evolve week by week. So thanks for taking your valuable time um, and sharing it with me and what we're doing in this community podcast. In this season, we will continue to explore the foundations of money by bringing in industry experts whom I know and trust Who are willing to share their wisdom and expertise? And on that note, today I'm delighted to be joined by Adam Smith from Secession Matters. With a background as an insurance specialist, Adam has been advising clients since 1990. He's really passionate about sharing his knowledge and has been actively involved in the profession, having sat on the on the AFA, which is the Association of Financial Advisors board, and insurance boards and his work was recognised in 2008 when he won the AFA Advisor of the Year based on best practice and contribution to the industry and community. He has strong links to the disability community, providing estate planning for families who have a child with a disability and is a former board director for Nelson Disability Services, I hope I've said that correctly, (laughs) um, and a current sponsor of As We Are. When Adam's not working, he enjoys spending his time Active with his family and dog, his Harley, love that, fishing and boating at Rotnest. Oh, yeah, I'm definitely down with that one, Adam. Um, and enjoys watching the AFL, rugby, and cricket. Welcome to Good Money Habits, Adam.
2: Thank you, Julia. Great to be here.
1: Yeah, delighted to have you. And today we're going to be digging into an area that's, for me, absolutely fundamental um, to help people achieve financial security in their lives, but one that I think is often commonly overlooked um, or perhaps not dealt with in the way that it should be. And that's personal insurances. So, Adam, I've asked you to come and chat with me as I know this is one of your specialisations. Um, do you mind if I ask, you know, where did the passion come from to to become a specialist in this area?
2: Um, I think you know, you, you're either wired to what I do or, or to the financial planning side. Mm. Um, it's very emotionally driven and being able to help people Uh, when they need it most in a time of crisis uh, is, I guess, something that I I experienced early on in my career and uh, I've gravitated to it ever since.
1: Yeah, no, and the, the emotional side of it, you know, it's one of those things, none of us like to think about um, becoming unwell or injured or passing away for that matter. Um, so it is really delicate, um, absolutely. And I know that what I'm interested in delving in today as well is um, talking about some of your claims experience and how you've helped clients um, when when they really do need the help the most, as you touched on. But before we go there, there is quite a bit of jargon in this space. So, kicking off with the basics, just at, at at a high level, what are the different types of cover?
2: Yes. Okay. So with personal insurance, there's effectively four types of cover. Uh, one that we're most people are familiar with, life insurance, uh, which protects a, a, a family against uh, somebody dying. Mm-hmm. Uh, but what's often not understood, it also protects the family in the event of terminal illness. So typically where someone has been diagnosed with less than 12 or 24 months to live, Mm -hmm. uh, those proceeds can be paid in advance to help the family plan. Mm -hmm. Uh, The other insurances, TPD, Total Permanent Disablement Insurance, often attached to uh, life cover in superannuation, uh, that pays a lump sum when someone has been medically deemed to be permanently disabled. and unable or unlikely to ever work again in either their own occupation, what they're currently doing, or anything that they've been trained, educated, or experienced in. Mm -hmm. Uh, The next type, which is, in my experience, a lot of people haven't heard of, is called trauma insurance. And trauma, uh, different to TPD, is payable on diagnosis of a specified event. Mm-hmm. So we all know someone who's suffered a heart attack or cancer and so forth, and the purpose of trauma is to pay a lump sum to help deal with that crisis immediately, uh, which often means uh, a spouse may need to take leave without pay to care for the other partner and so forth. Um, and the last type of insurance uh, is called income protection or income replacement, and the, the purpose behind that is if you're uh, un- unable to work due to an illness or accident, then it will replace a percentage of your income for the period of time that you cannot work.
1: Thanks for clarifying that. And just circling back to trauma cover, sometimes that's also called critical illness. Just for people that are listening, they might see that terminology. Um, What are the most uh, commonly claimed upon insurances?
2: Yeah. So for trauma, um, if I think of the big three, uh, three buckets of cancer, heart and stroke, Um, In our claims experience in our business, um, by far and away, cancer claims, uh, breast cancer for females, Mm -hmm. prostate cancer for males and so forth, uh, have been the highest uh, incidences.
1: Yeah, for sure. And sometimes I think about the fact that I don't actually know anyone who wouldn't insure their own home or car, Um, yet we do commonly see uh, people not insuring or sufficiently insuring what I'd regard as your most valuable asset, which is yourself. Why do you think that is?
2: It's a very good question and I think when you have that conversation face to face with someone, it, it resonates and makes sense. But I think when you can see a tangible object like a house and car and so forth, logically it makes more sense. But the thought of not being able to work again um, doesn't necessarily cross people's minds and uh, what, one of the, the, the false notions is when people think of income protection they think about having an accident and mm. yet over 85% of claims, industry claims experiences are for illness related uh, yeah, claims, not mm. accidents.
1: Yeah there you go and it, it's making me think about um, under insurance. so you know on that same theme so it is well publicised that we do have an underinsurance problem here in Australia and I suspect that suspect it's partly due to the fact that the cost of personal insurance has really escalated particularly in recent years. Why has that happened in your view um, and you know what's causing that?
2: Yes, so so income protection uh, in the last five years has effectively made close to $3.4 billion of losses. So uh, we haven't seen that before. And there's a huge uh, claims incidence uh, in the mental health space, which almost represents uh, a third of all income protection claims. So when I started my career, I'd never heard of a mental health claim, Uh, and yet today, um, if I look at our claims experience at the moment, we're we're currently managing nine mental health claims.
1: Yeah, and a third is quite a lot, and just bringing it back to layman's terms, um, you know, just thinking about, um, yeah, that impact of of mental health is something that back then wasn't really commonly spoken Mm. about, was it? So. And, or really factored in. So what we're coming back to is the actuaries probably didn't do the numbers right or they've, they've they've underestimated what those claims are likely to look like and we're now seeing the fallout of that. And interesting that you share the losses, um, you know, that insurance companies have been seeing over the years. Okay, so we, we understand the issue and that's somewhat of a barrier. So how can people mitigate for rising premiums? What are some of the things they could do? Yeah,
2: um, so... There's lots of things in, in a perfect world, we would sure insure everything and, and we would eliminate all risk. Uh, but of course, we don't live in that perfect world no. and we've got to find that right balance of peace of mind versus costs. So one of the conversations that we would have with a client is understand the trade-off. So educate them on the trade-off. So if I think of income protection, for example, uh, a thing called a waiting period, how long can I afford to wait before this benefit kicks in to replace my income. Now, the logic is the longer I can afford to wait, the less risk to the insurer, therefore the lower the premium. So that's a trade-off mm. discussion on length of time called waiting period, um, average is 30 days or is it 90 days, that, that's an example one example of a trade-off.
1: Yeah, that's a great example. And I guess people might be thinking about what cash reserves do they have access to, for example, or the ability to cover um, that waiting period if they needed to. What about things like considering bells and whistles or you know, shortening benefit periods? Would those kinds of things help as well, potentially?
2: Absolutely. Um, again, in, in the perfect world, we have all those bells and whistles, but the reality is every time we add a bell and whistle, there's an additional cost. So understanding mm-hmm. what they are. that The, the policies today uh, are stripping out a lot of those bells and whistles from a cost perspective. Mm-hmm. But the, the, the key ones are waiting period, benefit period. How long would I like my benefit to be paid for mm-hmm. in income protection? So yeah. is it for two years, five years, or through to the end of my working career, for example, to age 65?
1: Yeah, no, that's really well explained. And when we caught up, you spoke about the insurance pie, which I thought was a, a great way of creating almost a visual. Do you mind sharing? Um, it's probably hard to do because we don't have a you know a whiteboard here that we can draw on, Adam. Sorry, but do yeah. you think you could paint the picture?
2: Look, I, I love using a whiteboard. Um, I'm quite a visual person, and, and and if we we visualise a pie, I, I break it up into four slices to illustrate the four types of insurance and. For example if I'm talking to um, a a female client one of the questions I'll I'll pose to them is um, do they understand trauma and 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 that it shouldn't be a question of do you have trauma cover the question should be how much so it's it's not
1: an all or nothing kind of scenario it's what's appropriate for you yes Mm. and,
2: and it's I think once clients are educated in understanding the risk, it becomes very obvious that protecting for a traumatic event is far more of a risk than in the event of death or permanent disability. So um, it's a great conversation to have and one of the ways I illustrate that um, is to share um, our claims experience, what clients have actually been through.
1: Yeah. And I do want to dig into that a little bit later. But before we get there, can you talk through the various ways that insurances can be owned um, and how that can assist in reducing the impact on household cash flow if that's an issue?
2: Yeah. So um, insurances can either be held personally where we own it ourselves or it can be held in superannuation where the super fund owns the policy. They're they're the two different ways. Mm -hmm. And often we have to uh, marry the two together to create the best possible plan to protect uh, the individual or their family um, and balance their cash flow needs, their personal cash flow needs, how they fund it. Is it funded personally or funded via superannuation proceeds?
1: And does the quality of cover vary depending on whether you own it through super or personally? Absolutely.
2: Absolutely. Uh, Insurance is no different to most things in life. You get what you pay for. Um, One of the uh, common feedback I get from uh, clients when I first meet them, I have that stuff through my super Um, and I say, that's fantastic. Let's lift the lid and have a look at what you actually have. Let's understand because insurance is one of these things that we, you know, we, we, almost begrudgingly pay for it hope we never need it but Mm. when we do need it we want it to work Mm. Um, and you don't want to find out at time of claim what you've actually got you want to know before then so for example in superannuation and remember super's designed as a vehicle to get us to retirement to provide Mm -hmm. income in retirement so the government's made it um, very difficult to access funds pre-retirement and therefore the definitions within superannuation are far more restrictive than they are outside. So, for example, for total permanent disablement cover in superannuation is in any occupation, which means to have it released, we need two medical professionals saying that you're unable to ever work again, not only in your current occupation, your own occupation, what you're doing, but anything else that you've been trained, educated Or experienced in. So that's a tough definition. It is. Whereas Mm. outside of superannuation we can talk to a client about what's called own occupation which again two medical specialists saying you're unlikely to ever work again in your own occupation is a far more generous definition than any.
1: And I guess it would depend on the occupation that that person is in, um, I guess the, which way you would potentially lean. So there might be some professions, for example, where it, it might be very important that that own occupation cover is in place. Um, but again, um, it, it's an important differentiation, as you said. So within superannuation, it can only be any occupation. So thank you for describing that so well. And you, you just touched on you know a client coming in and saying, well, I've got some Life & TBD cover sitting in my, insur- in my superannuation. There are a few different ways or channels through which you can access personal insurances. Can you step through those?
2: Sure. Fundamentally, there's three ways. Um, First one uh, with with the advent of technological uh, technology, sorry advances, uh, you can go online, answer half a dozen questions, yep. and receive a policy on the spot, which is extraordinarily convenient and easy to do, twenty four seven. But yeah, will it actually work in claim time mm-hmm. is always a question mark. Yeah. Um, there's group, what we call group insurance. So think of all the industry funds out there, Australian Super, Uni Super and things like that. They often provide um, automatic levels of cover uh, for their members, which is terrific, and and that bypasses any need for for uh, uh, underwriting of, of the person's uh, health and so forth. However, it's often not enough.
1: That was going to be my question. And do you find that sometimes clients assume that because that's the automatic cover that it is enough? That that's their number?
2: Um, yes. So so that's that comes back to that mm. point. Um, I've already got all that stuff. Yeah. And 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 I guess it's fantastic that they've got cover. Uh, the question is, is it enough, and will it work? And that's part of the the process. Mm-hmm. The third. Channel is what we call the the advice space the, or the retail space, uh, and that's where you seek advice. So yep. you seek advice from someone like myself yep. or yourself um, to to get advice to make an informed decision.
1: Can you explain guaranteed renewability, which kind of comes into this in terms of your decision-making about the channel that you go through?
2: Yeah, yeah, that's a really good point. So guaranteed renewability, if I could put it this way... Um guaranteed renewability means that once an insurer offers you a policy that you ex- – policy terms that you accept, they can't change that in the future to your detriment if your health situation yep. changes or your lifestyle circumstances change. So I often put it this way to a client, I'd rather take you through the health hoops now yep. and so I can create certainty. So if you call me in the future if something happens – Um, I I can act and and, and I can get things done for you. Now, a lot of the online solutions are not guaranteed renewable. They're actually what we call cancellable contracts, meaning the insurer can change the terms of that or actually cancel the policy itself.
1: And when you talk about going through the hoops, you're referring to an underwriting process?
2: That's it, yes. (laughs) An underwriting process meaning... um, Evaluating someone's health mm-hmm. it might be blood tests, seeking medical reports,
1: reviewing uh, prior conditions, yeah, things like that. Yeah,
2: and and I explain to clients that it's not an easy process; it's very thorough. Um, but the day I offer you terms which you accept, they are guaranteed renewable.
1: Great, thanks for explaining that. Okay, so I'm going to ask you a question which sounds incredibly simple, but I know the answer is not. But without getting too far into the weeds, are there any rules of thumb in relation to how much cover somebody might need and how would they go about determining that?
2: Yeah. I think, you know, it's very subjective, but the way I would look at it is understand the needs. So, for example, if we're looking at life cover, um, one of the things I'd want to understand is how important is it to clear all or part of of your debts Mm -hmm. um, and walk through that. And then if the main breadwinner is no longer here, we might have a debt-free asset pool, but what about income? That's right. So how much income do we need to replace and for how long for will determine the level of recommendation? And that could be uh, for 20 years.
1: And having a realistic budget and really knowing your numbers is important there, I imagine, so that you don't underinsure or overinsure as well. And mm. taking inflation into account, I imagine, is part of it. Yeah.
2: Mm. Um, I can say this. I've never had a client at claim time say, that's too much. Can you <laughs> give, give some back to the insurer?
1: Thinking about affordability and, and cover level, yeah.
2: Yeah. Uh, and, and you know, insurance is not designed to, for people to profit. It's designed to uh, maintain lifestyles uh, and, 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 and not necessarily sell assets that you've worked so hard to create and keep your kids in school and, and, and so forth. So that, that's the sorts of conversations that we have to have to bring in the realness of how much you need.
1: And the reality is, is uh, if you are claiming, then something significant has happened in your life. So the, the idea at its most basic level is to try and remove at least one uh, level of stress and strain in your life, and and know that at least financially that can continue on, hopefully unchanged, so you can focus on whatever's happened, your health, or a loved one, or what, whatever's going on in your life at that time.
2: Yeah, yeah. And, yeah. and and. and if we think of trauma cover, I often get asked how much is enough, and and uh, again, if cost wasn't an issue, you would eradicate all debt and so forth, but typically trauma's there. Think about this, if, if if something happens out of left field and it's totally turned your world upside down, what sort of lump sum of money would we want to injected into the bank account immediately to help deal with that crisis. Yep. So we, we would generally talk around 150000 of um, proceeds as a minimum yep. to help that family with that immediate crisis. Because remember I said it could happen to your spouse, but you may need to t- take time out to care for the spouse and the family yes. and so forth. So there's a monetary cost and and... If we think through how do we get well, how do we get better if we're stressed about money? Exactly. So in a perfect world, we'd have a lot more. But when we look at trade-offs and so forth, uh, protecting lifestyle, medical costs and so forth, around 150000 is is where we're...
1: As a minimum level. Yeah, a no, minimum. That's, yeah, that's good to know. So there's been quite significant legislative changes in recent years that I did want to touch on Um, and the first one being uh, minimum super balances. Have you seen people lose important cover?
2: Yes. um, I remember when the legislation came in and I was thinking about how this may impact but now we're meeting clients who had small amounts of superannuation who were part of a super fund that offered Cover um, and a lot of clients have lost those benefits. Now, if they're healthy lives and so forth, that's okay, we can get them reinsured elsewhere. But what if that person has real health issues, which makes it difficult to get cover elsewhere? Yeah. And that's an unintended consequence. And the other thing I would go on and, and say is that I see a lot of people now through my govern so forth. They
1: make it very easy, uh, don't very they? Very easy.
2: <laughs> Tick a box to amalgamate them all in one and and you could be losing valuable cover. So what I would suggest is that, that there's a conversation to be had prior to doing that.
1: So pause before you consolidate, check your situation, get advice um, where appropriate before making any moves. So I think that's a really good tip. Um, what are the options for people touching on pre-existing conditions um, where people have either been knocked back from getting cover or find that they've got exclusions added or loadings on their premiums. What are some of the options or approaches that people can take there?
2: Yeah, I, I, I mean, insurance, it, it's its not perfect, it's messy. Um, probably 80% of clients we help will have modified terms in some way. So if I think about their overall protection portfolio, it could have a combination of um, automatic covers they've got through their superannuation fund, uh, which with no um, health loadings or, or exclusions for backs and things like that, we may top up with some other covers Mm -hmm. and so forth. For the
1: shortfall. Um, Mm -hmm.
2: But what I always say, it's not set and forget. It's a work in progress. And and what we will always look to do is insurers are a conservative bunch. So they they will offer you terms from a conservative perspective and exclude your back, for example. But in one or two years' time, we might have the opportunity to review that if there's no ongoing back issues and so forth, either have that, Exclusion removed or improved upon,
1: and set. And, uh, making sure it's not set and forget is therefore critical. Um, how often should people review their insurances?
2: Well, um, you know, we say annually. The reality is, though, uh, most people probably look at it uh, every two to three years. Mm-hmm. Um, from our perspective, um, we contact a client every year. Um, Sometimes it's just a a confirmation over the phone, has anything changed Changed. in their world? Um, But certainly within two years, it should be formally reviewed because life changes.
1: And your balance sheet will change over time as well. And as we age, we don't need to fund as many years of cost of living, for example. All of those things come into it. So I think, and that's perhaps another way to manage premiums over time as well. um, If your need for cover reduces as your wealth accumulates as you get older. Can we hone in on income protection? I think this is a really important one and there has been significant changes. Um, Can you step us through what the changes were, how income protection can be held, maybe explain tax deductibility and, sorry for three questions in one, um, are existing policies or older policies potentially more valuable than new ones now?
2: Yes, yeah. Okay, there's a lot going on there. Is sorry, my brain was going a million miles an hour. I could keep up, Uh, but look, um, first of April uh, last year, uh, the government introduced um, a a big, a defining moment in in the insurance industry for us, but the general public wouldn't quite um, understand, and that is that uh, prior to first of April, there were what's called an agreed value income protection contract, which meant that if a client was financially underwritten at time of application uh, or underwriting stage, uh, that would eliminate the need to financially underwrite them at claim time. Now, APRA, who's the uh, potential uh, body that sits above the insurance industry, stepped in and goes to my point before and said to the insurers, you've made five years of sustained losses over $3 billion. You can no longer offer these products. They are too generous. So today, the agreed value contract um, cannot be offered anymore, Mm -hmm. but clients who have one can maintain it. Excellent. And the best way I'd put it is the agreed value contract is like the Rolls Royce. The, The new contract is uh, you're holding Barina. Yeah, a what? good analogy. Yeah, yeah. Not trying to offend anyone there, but you're no longer comparing an apple with an apple. Mm-hmm. A- and But the Rolls-Royce, you're paying a Rolls-Royce price. So what I say to clients uh, when they get their statement and they've seen a significant increase, um, they need to understand the why. They need to understand the trade-off, the comparison of what they've got versus what they could have. And then let's look at ways to mitigate that rising premium. And it's fascinating, every client so far I've had that conversation with has maintained their Rolls Royce, but we might have taken off a few bells and whistles to make it more affordable.
1: Sure, in terms um, of waiting periods and things like that. Correct, mm.
2: correct. Uh, now, I think tax deductibility was one mm, of the it points It was, there. well done. Yeah. So, so um, if we pay it personally out of our own back pocket, um, the government allows us to claim that premium as a tax-deductible um, premium, so offset against our tax uh, when we do our tax return. The thing that most clients don't understand, though, is while well, it's tax-deductible, in the event of a claim, it's tax-accessible because we're replacing their income. So, and, and typically, the older-style policies allowed you to protect 75% of the income you're accustomed to. Mm. And then I'll say to a client, just remember when you're on claim, you're getting 75% of what you're used to, which you also need to allow for the provision of tax.
1: Perfect. Yeah, very well explained. And I'm thinking about situations where people may think that they're covered when they're not, and two are popping into my mind, one being redundancy, and the other potentially the impact of COVID. Do you have any thoughts on that?
2: Yes. um, Wow. Uh, covid I've already had people ring me. Uh, one particular person rang me wanting to know they had been made redundant because they have not vaccinated. Yes. Can I make a claim? And the answer is no. No. Because fundamentally an income protection replaces income if you're unable to work due to an illness
1: Injury. or an accident. Mm.
2: Um, so redundancy is not covered in, in, in other words. Um, and COVID has been a, a real concern. But importantly, clients who have got existing covers and even clients who don't have them, there's a series of questions they need to ask. But COVID's not causing implications um, to get insurance. Yeah, it's so just a couple more hurdles.
1: And just understanding um, when it isn't, isn't um, co- things are and are not covered as well yeah. is an important part. Sometimes as advisors, Adam, we see scenarios where clients have suffered an event, where they were eligible to make a claim, but perhaps didn't realise they were eligible until some time after. You shared a story with me that I thought would be interesting to share today about your um, client who had breast cancer, I I believe.
2: Yes. um, It was a client of ours who um, we, if you like, inherited from another advisor And seven years ago, uh, had um, suffered from breast cancer and and had surgery and and so forth. And and, uh, the great news is she's alive and well um, today. But through a review (laughs) of her insurances uh, and getting to meet her, we found out that um, this had occurred. So we asked her if she had the histology report and the medical diagnosis Uh, handy, which she did. She emailed that through. We took it to the insurer in question. They assessed and said, look, this will meet the definition of breast cancer Mm -hmm. under the policy. And we arranged uh, to submit a claim for her. And uh, two weeks later had, had the claim paid, plus all the premiums that she'd paid since refunded to her. So that was a wonderful it's extraordinary, um, and it's often you don't hear these stories in the media. But, but again, she had a guaranteed renewable contract. Uh, she just wasn't in the right headspace at the time to make a claim, and probably forgot. Um, and but she's. Absolutely over the moon today that we've been able to to get that
1: paper. I bet she is, and that's a really great example of where having an advisor with a very good claims experience um, is is invaluable.
2: Yes, I think so. I, I mean it's it, it's it's not a five minute exercise. Claims are hard, um, that and and we play that role. I guess, of helping the client and the meat and the sandwich, if you like, between the insurer, understanding the process of a claim, understanding how it works, the definitions, the length of time it takes Mm. um, to administer a claim. So um, that was a great result. I mean, that's two weeks. Mm. So that's the beauty of a trauma claim. They're very black and white. It either meets the definition or Or it it doesn't. doesn't.
1: Yeah, no, that's a great story there conscious of time um it really has flown it's been so great to chat to you today are there any resources that you would direct people to if they want to do a little bit more research or learn a bit more about this
2: yeah look there's plenty of educational information online there's insurance calculators and and things like that um I, I, my, my, my uh, I'm in the advice space because I believe you need to have that conversation. I mean, mm. insurance is one of those things we need. We mm. don't necessarily want, and therefore, we really need to underst- lift the lid, lift the lid, and understand, you know, what this thing's all about. What are my options? What are my choices? Um, get educated so you can make an informed decision that's right for you.
1: And it is very nuanced at the end of the day. And the reality is that what's right for one person would not necessarily be right for the next person. So, that's where understanding the person's history and their age and their occupation and are, are they married, do they have a partner, are they the breadwinner, do they have children, we could go on and on and on. So, yeah. lots of different factors that feed in there. Okay, if there was just one key message that you would like the listeners to take away from today, what would that be, Adam?
2: Um don't just assume because you have covered through your superannuation fund that you're properly protected. Uh, understand the risk so in the event of something happening, and I'm not talking a runny, runny nose, mm. but something major in your life, yeah. that you know that you're protected.
1: Adam, thank you. I think having somebody there with experience when it matters most, especially when estate planning matters come into play, um, is something that shouldn't be overlooked or underestimated. This is such a vital and fundamental part of people and families ensuring they are financially protected. Um, I really appreciate you sharing your knowledge and expertise. I have to say this is a space that is really fraught with a lot of jargon and I just feel like you were able to bring it back to everyday language that uh, really anyone could understand and I think not many people can do that. So thank you. I I feel really validated having you here today and I do think this is such an important conversation. So thank you and thanks again to the listeners for joining us If you enjoyed this community podcast today, please do share it. If you know others who you feel might get benefit from it, feel free to pass on um, the link, share any feedback or suggestions to us with future content you'd like us to produce via our Facebook page or on my Instagram page. I will leave a link on the podcast notes. Take care and thanks for joining us.
0: Thanks for having me, Julia. Thanks, Adam. That was another episode of Good Money Habits, brought to you by Lighthouse Capital. A reminder that this episode was general in nature and doesn't take into account your personal objectives, financial situation or needs, and therefore may not be appropriate for you. It is recommended that you seek professional advice before making any significant financial decisions. If you want to find out more, this podcast is available on Apple Podcasts or head to www.lighthousecapital.com.au